This podcast was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the television and movies being covered here would not exist. We stand with the writers and actors and support their call for equitable and fair treatment for everyone in the industry. You can support those on strike by making a donation at entertainmentcommunityfund.org, which will go to a writer, actor, or other entertainment worker in need. You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome back to Thunder Quack Perfect 10. I'm your host, Michael Cohen. Every episode, we dive deep with a special guest into a piece of pop culture they adore. Is it a 10 out of 10? Maybe, but uh, to them, it's an undeniable masterpiece. So sit back, get comfy, and let's find some joy talking William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet with Amanda Konkin. Amanda, Hi. I... <laughs> It's been it has been a little while since we've podcasted together. It has. It's been a it's been a very long while since we've podcasts, which is kind of nice. It's it's nice to be back. <laughs> and I uh, and and people who have found me through Perfect Ten uh, would have absolutely no context because I, have no I idea who I am. Yeah, because yeah, you've never been on this show before. So um, Amanda and I podcasted for. A very long time together uh, for all, uh, what is it? Is it seven or eight seasons of Arrow? I can it never was, remember. I think it's I feel like it seven. was eight. Is it eight? It was eight. It was like uh, seven and a half, right? Yeah, the last one yeah. was like a, like a shorter one. Um, I feel like we podcasted for eight years, so I don't know if that maybe it overlapped in first. Yeah, and then and then uh, and then we continued for a little while after that with the Thunderquack podcast. Mm-hmm. Um so, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, all of that stuff is out there online for people who want to go back and listen to it, but I don't know why you would. The Thunderquack podcast <laughs> has some really great episodes in it, but I don't know why anybody would want to go back and listen to Quiver at this point. Um, uh, we're delightful, ha- Mike. We're delightful. You'd, you'd have to want to subject yourself to Arrow, which like the first two seasons. Yeah, absolutely. Because the first two seasons are fantastic. But um so go do that. The, the, the mileage varies on the rest of that series. So, <laughs> uh, but we were there. We were there for the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but I, I, yeah. And I just want to like, I want to make sure I came yeah. to the right podcast because I feel like you said that we're podcasting about William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, but it's Baz Luhrmann's William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Right? So, so <laughs> okay. it is. It is directed by Baz Luhrmann, but it is technically called. Technically, the name of the film is All William right. Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Romeo okay. plus Juliet. You have to use the plus symbol instead of. And. Oh, okay. Um, That's fair. To, for to 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 be technically correct. I uh, yeah let's uh let let's 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 not keep anybody waiting let's get let's get right into it I uh, so for those who don't know I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys the rundown on uh William Shakespeare's Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and, and, and Juliet <laughs> whatever you want to call it uh okay so let's set the stage the year is 1996 the setting is a vibrant chaotic Verona beach 
and the players are two star-crossed lovers from feuding families. Uh, and no, these are not the Capulets and Montagues that you would be used to, but rather a modern retelling in a world where swords are branded handguns and Shakespearean prose meets the MTV era. Directed by the avant-garde Baz Luhrmann, William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet propelled young Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes to superstardom as they embodied the tragic lovers in a way we'd never seen before. Uh, this isn't your English class's Romeo and Juliet. It's a whirlwind of passion, vibrant visuals, and a rock and roll i call it more of a pop soundtrack but that's all right uh but amid all its wild stylizations at its heart remains a timeless tale of love and woe whether you were captivated by the contemporary backdrop or simply swept up in the poetry of it all today we're digging into the audacious and undeniably iconic william shakespeare's romeo and juliet uh so let's uh let's let's get let's get into some billy shakes action with this one billy shakes. I, I love it i this is to give everybody the additional background that I think is very important um, if they if they haven't listened to a whole bunch of Thunderquack, um, Amanda and I are huge, massive, ridiculous Shakespeare nerds. Um, it's how we were. It's how we became friends. Exactly. Because our small town didn't have much. But while we were in high school, they started a Shakespeare festival. And I will say, not actually in our town, but in the town that was like Next even smaller and close yeah. to us. But it was, and that was where we met. So we, we didn't go to the same school, but we met at a Shakespeare festival. And then when we did go to the same school, we were like, hey, you like Shakespeare? So. Yeah. So. I, I don't know if I told that story correctly, but. No, that's, that's totally, <laughs> that's totally it. I, yeah. So, so it, it, it is literally in the origins of, of our friendship, which is, I think what made it uh, an appropriate choice. We, we went back and forth. Like we, we sort of went around on, on a few different options for what we could do for this episode. Um, and we almost landed on pride and prejudice, but I, I think it was just, just I don't yeah, have you enough. You just don't know enough. Right? You don't know enough. Yeah. yeah. So, so I was um, like, if I have to choose a secondary piece of favorite media, it would be Shakespeare in general, yeah, because I do. The yeah. other context is like, I'm, we're, oh my goodness. I forget how much of a Shakespeare nerd I am until people talk about it. Like I literally made a web series about William Shakespeare, not <laughs> yeah. like about Shakespeare plays, but about the author, William Shakespeare, like yeah. the playwright, like I, like his whole history in life. It was so fun. So. Oh my goodness! I can't believe that I haven't I haven't thought about that in a hot minute too. Yeah, well, why don't you why don't you plug it? Why don't you tell everybody what it's called so they can go find it on oh, YouTube? I sure can. Oh my goodness! Uh, so it's called Blank Verse, and it is about William Shakespeare as a modern day university student. And we uh, produced it over the course of a couple months, and we released an episode a week uh, for like four months, and it was really. Fun. It was with a whole bunch of people at a UBC that I'd gone to, University of British Columbia, who were all theater nerds just like me. And I, at the time, was really trying to be a producer. And I was like, well, I'm going to hire writers, I'm going to hire directors, and we're going to make it. And we basically did it in four, five acts. So there's five acts with four like shorts in each of them. It's about two and a half hours worth of content in total. And it follows basically the life of William Shakespeare 
through his plays as if university inspired him to write his plays. It was so much fun to do. And the characters in the play in the show are all the other playwrights of that era. And the world is kind of this, it's, you know, it's modern, but it's as if Shakespeare never existed. Um, And so like the predominant historical work of fiction that colors the world, like Shakespeare does now is Chaucer, which is kind of fun. So there's like little tongue in cheek references to Chaucer. And, uh, and then we, did a spinoff series so ben johnson was one of the contemporary playwrights that lived on after um shakespeare and we gender bent that role and then did like a vlog style series this was right around the time that the lizzie bennett diaries the the vlog brothers like hank green's series came out and so i was really excited about the being able to tell stories through vlog even though i had no experience doing that and i hired a great team to do that like it was really like one writer one director and it was really, I mean, the actress that was um, playing Ben Johnson was amazing. Uh, and I'm really proud of it. It was definitely a product of my, like that time when I was not, I didn't really know what I was doing. And we all just basically grabbed a DSLR and and made a story. But it's uh, very cool to have finished that. And it exists on the internet should people want to find it. And I think the website still exists too, blankverse.tv. Have I given that up yet, Mike? I don't know. I feel like it still gets hosted somewhere um with as, you <laughs> as, as far as i know it's it's still there <laughs> i think it yeah. still exists yeah so so blank tv and i mean obviously on on youtube as well and it's uh yeah it, yeah I'm, I'm excited it's it's i'm proud of it um it is what it is. <laughs> so so yeah so so there the, i i think that i think that counts as like your bona fides uh on 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 that one <laughs> where <laughs> i we are we are qualified to have this conversation um yeah. Now let's let's get into into this this actual movie itself. Um, it, it is it is divisive to say the least. Uh, I think that there are a lot of people of our age that consider it to be um, a, a masterpiece, a work of art. Um, but I I think I think that there are also a lot of people. I you know I'd be really curious to get like a Gen Z take on I, I don't think they know it exists do they know I, well, that this movie that, exists i feel like it's I, really i'm important. not sure because for me it's going to be one of those things that's going to go either like like it's going to be absolutely polarizing where they're going to be like this is all cringe uh as as they <laughs> would say or they would just like devour it right um I, and I, I just, I do have to, as somebody yeah. coming into this, I do just want to be really clear. So, and again, like, I love that my bona fides is like this web series I made and not my master's in theater degree that I <laughs> that I spent many years studying. But I have to say that of Shakespeare's plays, Romeo and Juliet is not my favorite. Yeah. So I think it makes this movie all the more qualified to be a perfect 10 because it's sort of in my mind that in spite of it being what I consider one of Shakespeare's least exciting plays. Like I really, it's so overdone. And so for, for, for me to say, yeah, let's talk about this as a perfect 10 is very interesting because so much of, as you, cause you were saying that's cringe about it is cringe because of the content as well as how it was made in this film, Mm -hmm. which works so well together like this this is the only play that could have been made like this and it's such a product of its time which is so ironic considering that it is an ancient play or like you know 
hundreds of years old yeah. and it works so well. So I, sorry, not to cut you off, but I did just want to sort of say that like, I, before we go into it, I want to say that the part that makes it brilliant is actually the part that makes it to me like kind of uh, this weird texture of Shakespeare for me, but it's yeah. so classic. I mean, I just went, cause I, I, when we were doing this, I was like, Oh, I should probably like watch it again. It's been a hot minute. So I didn't mm-hmm. watch, I didn't watch like the whole thing, but I like rewatched like main parts of it. And I'm like, I know this, I know this play. Like we studied that. Do they still have to yeah. study this play in university or in high school? Because I feel like this, was sure. your, this is like intro to Shakespeare is like grade yeah. eight or grade nine. Shakespeare is Romeo and Juliet because that's the age that you are. And that's like, Oh, it's just, and watching it, you're like these little babies of like this, like Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio before he was Leonardo DiCaprio. Like, Oh, yeah, oh, so I'm so the, excited to talk about this. <laughs> I think I think I think one of the most interesting things about about this particular version is that um the the versions that 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 predate it, right? I I tend tend to to be like pretty pretty close to the source sort of stuff and I and often age up I, and and I think that like like prior to this movie the conversation about Romeo and Juliet would always be like, well, you'd watch like the Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet, which is what they would show you in school. Cause they're not going to show you this one. Um, and, uh, and, and they're, they're, they're significantly older, right? Like, like they're, yeah. they're, they're like mid twenties. So it's, it's to me, it doesn't like, for me, it doesn't work. Right. Romeo and Juliet only works if, they are as even actually, I think it works better if they're even younger than they are in this, but oh. I understand, I understand the, the reasoning for, for their ages in this, but I just to, just to, to let everybody in on, on this Leonardo DiCaprio was 21 and Claire Danes was 17 when they filmed this. So, yeah. Yeah. um, actually many of those scenes with her being 17 are, are actually, like they are borderline inappropriate. <laughs> um, and it's like, it's it, it, if, if not just straight up, I, I don't know. I don't know how puritanical we are these days. Right. But like, it is one of those things where it's like, she is a, she is a minor. She is not an adult. And, uh, and, and she's topless. I mean, like we don't see her from the front or anything. It's all, it's all what you would consider tastefully shot, but it like as, as somebody who is a, a, a fan of film, who's gone to film school and understands production and being on set as you do, that means that there was a 17 year old girl topless on set. Like that's mm-hmm. like, that's yeah. and in, in an era where like, it, it is not like it is today where it would have been like, okay, like clear the set sort of thing. Like I highly doubt that that was the case. I I'd be, I'd be really interested. I mean, I haven't really researched it specifically. I just rewatched it last night and it was one of those things where it's like, I was watching it and I was like, they are so young. How young were they? And then I looked it up and was like, wow, wow. She is so young in this. Um, but it, it, to me, it, it works for the movie itself because it reinforces the, um, like the foolishness of it. Right. Cause that's, yeah. that's yeah. the tragedy of, of Romeo and Juliet. We, we consider it uh, a, a romance, but it's actually a tragedy and it's actually like it, it Romeo and Juliet are, are plot devices. <laughs> they are not characters. And I think like, that's where it, we, when you say like, this it's the, like the least interesting of Shakespeare's plays, right? It's <laughs> certainly up there. 
and it's because the like really the interesting characters in this are are many of the supporting characters and the interpretations in this version i think are actually um the most the most interesting part of it so one of one of those being there 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 are two that sort of really jump out one of those being mercutio um and oh. the way that they yeah. really really uh, harold perino really plays up the fact that mercutio is in love with romeo right like that like that is there's there is the moment where 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 it's sort of like called out and it's like it's kind of between the lines and it's kind of like you, you could kind of take it either way, but this interpretation really takes it in the direction of like, it, like that, like that is a thing. Like, like he, like Mercutio is like jumping in and getting involved because he is in love with Romeo. The, the other one that is a lot, a bit more of a leap, but that is, that could be considered in the text, depending on who you're talking to is, um, is I uh, I uh, Juliet's mother being somehow romantically involved with Tybalt, right? Like that. Oh, yeah. Like there is you have to you have to really kind of pay attention to it in this movie, but it is there that like she loses it in a way that is like throw yourself on the casket sort of thing, where it's like you're like what's going what's what's the relationship here with Juliet's cousin right like it's 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 odd but it is also like it is subtextually there in this in this interpretation so it's like i look at stuff like that and i go like well baz lerman was really like he was going like let's put some let's put something something controversial into this and then the funny part is that that is not i think what anybody ends up talking about when they talk about like the like not controversy but just sort of like the 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 divisive aspects of this movie so i think that people end up talking about like the guns and the soundtrack mm-hmm. and the stylization and stuff of like well it's, you know it it it's uh, sensationalizes it and whatever and it gets away from from the source material and it's like well yeah cuz it's the source material is hundreds of years old so let's you know that we've we've seen it done vanilla a million times let's spice it up a little you know but uh but it's funny to me because I, I i find that those interpretations of of uh juliet's mother and and mercutio to be like really interesting takes the mercutio one i think is is not as like you know like 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 overturning the apple cart i think that there are a lot of people who who would read that into it because of of the scene with tibble um and, and like what gets said back and forth um but but yeah like it, it to me it's it's funny that like that i harold perino's performance like in the in the 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 masquerade ball and like the very oh, yeah. obvious like drag send-up aspect of it um which like listen i watched this movie for the first time in 1997 when i would have been like 12 years old <laughs> and did not understand why is this character like why is he dressed like a woman what's going on right like i but but now when i watch it um being a much more evolved human being i just i i could just watch his scenes like like honestly like like I think that Leo's performance is kind of uh, it's kind of eh, um, but but that Mercutio performance, along with John Leguizamo as Tibble, is just like oh. 
My God. They, like the two of them, because John Lee was almost one of those actors that doesn't get credit for how talented he actually is. But, uh, but he delivers performances in a bunch of movies that are just like incredible. And this is one of them. I, I just like they're there. He's so memorable. He is what I remember about this film. Mm-hmm. Like despite it having a stack cast, cause I will say I definitely forgot that Paul Rudd was, was Paris. <laughs> like, and it's so icon- like he's so iconic. Like Paul Rudd is so Paul Rudd. Like knowing who he is now, and like rewatching yeah. this movie and being like the dance sequence is just so yeah. Paul- like Paul Rudd being charming as heck, and you being like, oh my goodness, if he can't charm her, there's obviously anyways. It's but such it's a dope, beautiful so and- dopey. And he's such a. I know he's so dopey, and it's so lovely, and he delivers the lines like now's not a time for wooing. I guess like it's just such a like he just oh yeah. it- but. That and then, but the only thing that I always remember about this movie, besides you know Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes, is John Leguizamo because mm-hmm. that that role and what he did was so like it was just so visceral, and also just because ever since then I feel like like I'm like why do people just not want him in everything? I mean, also, I mean, in Moulin Rouge, he was quite lovely as well. I feel like. Yeah, I, I, I mean, like that he does. He has he has this handful of performances that mm-hmm. are, um, like unparalleled. Where you're like, I can't imagine anybody else in this role. But then he's he's also what's what's the movie? It's The Pest. I think is is one of his starring vehicles. Uh, that is not a great movie. Uh, he is <laughs> clown in the Spawn film, and that's an uh... awful movie. Uh, Cl- Spawn is one of those ones that like we could only do Tyler and I could do a perfect 10 on it uh, for April Fool's because it is it is that bad <laughs> my god that movie is so terrible um, <laughs> but but yeah but but John Leguizamo every once in a while when 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 given good material and and I think like the room to move he uh, he 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 delivers incredible performances and and this one is just so iconic it's so iconic I can't I cannot imagine anybody else delivering at the caliber that he does in this, right? Like just because it's, it's, it's tough. Like it's, it's hard work what he has to do in this one. Oh yeah. And I mean, I forgot too, because this was after Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, which is also yeah. just a fantastic movie. And that he, like his roles in the 90s were so great. And I feel like now people know him because of the, like, you know, he's in Ice Age or like, I don't even know what it is that people know him from now. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like, man, if you haven't had a chance to see him in his prime, I feel like there's some great 90s movies that really like iconicized him, at least for me. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he, 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 he is, he is actually like one of my legit favorite actors, but it's one of those things where it's like, it's gotta be the right, it's, it has to be the right mix of things coming together. Right. But, but yeah, he's so good in this. But again, Harold Perrineau is just like, like he like leaps off the screen in the performance. Like it's just, it's, it's so, so good. Um, and like his death scene is is fantastic. Even you know, I I with the very dated special effects and all of that, <laughs> it, it's still for me. It still works so well. Um, yeah. I, the the thing that I find so interesting about this, and and not to like derail any conversations or whatever, but to get into like this movie also works as a product of the '90s. Mm-hmm. Like the way, like the communication and the 
like it's just sort of that like cusp of of like cell phone call like there wasn't cell phones there's not like really the ability to contact people which is so important in Romeo and Juliet that is just um like it just works and it works because it's also modern enough like when people and again this is I I love I love your initial take where you're like I want to know what Gen Z thinks of this movie because same for me I feel like it's modern enough that it still works even with like modern day like it just I feel like you could sort of do this movie again. It obviously, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be as iconic because there's something about the '90s in LA that is just so, like, it, yeah. grunge or something that just fits this so well. I don't, I don't know. It captures the year 1996 in such stark relief uh, yes. that it that it becomes a period piece, right? Like. And I, th- for me, I, I think that. that's why it does work. It's that like they, when they made it, it was contemporary, but they made it in a way because it was so stylized that it becomes, it becomes period in the way that like when we now make a movie about the 1800s, right? It's like, oh, well, we, you know, we, we're going to, we're going to study all of these clothes and everybody's going to be like so perfectly recreated um, that, that there's a, there's an artificiality to it right with a period piece that is like yeah um it's funny because they always win academy awards for it and i'm always like but there's nothing real about any of this like this is all so heightened um right because they'll take they'll take one aspect of culture at that point in time and they will just like that'll be the whole thing right um and 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 that's what like that's what this does like it, it and and especially like like you say, like that LA culture, which I think in the early to mid nineties, I think we were all very obsessed with. I, I don't, I don't think that it's the same now, certainly as it was then, you know, saved by the bell and uh, oh, 90210 yeah. and Melrose place and all of that stuff. Like you think about what pop culture was at the time. It's like, we were obsessed with Southern California, right. Um, as a culture so so this movie you know setting itself in verona beach um was was such a a a clever way of doing that um of of putting you in in a place in time and then being able to play on that visual aesthetic um and and have that back and forth uh, uh with that and have and the interplay of that with the source material right um because i i think like the the um the way that they use like the like the the news like break-ins sort of thing uh and as 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 the narrator and 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 all of that like it just it's i i find it to be a very clever if not a little bit like on the nose um interpretation but but to me like that's baz lerman like i i just when i when i think of baz lerman stuff it's like he's he subtlety is not is not his strong suit. Um, it, it is. It is very much about being grandiose and in your face. Um, and 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 for me, like that works. Like I, I I I look at film. George Lucas said I about film that like the whole thing is magic. The whole thing is an illusion, right? Like it's it's we go to the movies and we want realism, but but what you're paying for the ticket is is all a trick of of 
the eyes anyways right so like he he's always like leaned into that because because when it comes down to it it's like a, a movie's not even a movie it's just a series of still frames flashed in sequence right. yeah. that tricks us into believing that we're seeing motion and it syncs up with sound and I, I, and, and it, and it takes us away. And it's like, so like the whole, the whole process is magic. It's all, I mean, to, 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 to be incredibly trite and, and, and ridiculous. It's, it's the, the, it's the shadows on the cave wall, right? Like we just, we, we see what we want to see and we, and we, we follow it because we want to, we want to escape. Right. Um, So for me, like when I, when I think of film, that's how I think of it first and foremost. That's how I've always thought of it. since ever since I heard the, that sort of ideology from George Lucas. Um, so realism is something that I find just so boring in film. It's like, like, I don't, you know, what's real is uh, like a, a, a camcorder at like handicap, like the Blair witch project is more realism <laughs> than, uh, than a Christopher Nolan film. Right. Um, but, but, like again like this is it i don't think that that's the uh i don't i don't think that that's like sort of the common or like the general uh uh, thought on film i think that that's a i I think that that's very much uh i don't know i i don't know if it if that is like along the lines of an avant-garde sort of way of looking at film but it is definitely it is definitely outside of the box of i think how most people interact with film when they go to the movie theater right like um i mean i argue with people about it all the time right because they'll they'll go to a transformers movie and complain that it lacks realism and i'll be like you went to a transformers movie it's trucks that (laughs) turn into robots like like (laughs) what do you like what do you expect you know I, i this happens all the time in like the discourse with star wars these days and people wanting to talk about you know, like, oh, the, like, like, oh, this show has such a low budget. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's a TV show. Uh, and for being a TV show, I think that they actually do incredible stuff. Right. But but people, I think, lack that lack that critical um, thinking in that context so much. And one of the things I love and not to like pull directly from Wikipedia, but in this case, I just feel like in, in contextualizing mm. some stuff, I feel like one of the things that Baz Luhrmann, like the the quote that's in here about like when he decided to do this was that he was like, how would Shakespeare make a movie? And Shakespeare, I mean, you and I both know this because we studied Shakespeare, but Shakespeare was like lowest common denominator. Yeah. And so like this, this quote from him is great. He's like, Baz Luhrmann is like, we know, we know about the Elizabethan stage and that he was playing for 3000 drunk punters from the sweet streepers to the queen of sweet street sweeper to the queen of england and his competition was a bear baiting and prostitution so he was a <laughs> relentless entertainer and a user of incredible devices and theatrical tricks to ultimately create something of meaning and convey a story and that is what we wanted to do and i just think exactly what you're talking about where it's like i don't know i think that that comes across and makes it shakespeare which is so yeah. because i love that like it's like how do you how do you show people how do you get people to engage in something that they think is like dis like distant from them? And I I've been thinking about this recently, just about like the kind of media that I like and, and I like to consume. And um, there's like a really popular book series or book that, that just came out this year. And um, 
called Fourth Wing. And it's really sort of skewing like people either really like it or they're like kind of off put by it. And I really liked it. But one of the things I was talking to somebody who's a fantasy reader who didn't like it. And they were like, yeah, it was too modern for me. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that is what I loved about it. That it was like this fantastical world, but they talked like I would talk to my friends or like about the world and the way they conversed. And I feel like this inversion in Shakespeare is like, they're doing some, they're taking this language that is so foreign and trying to place it in a, in, in a way that is so familiar that it allows this like relationship to Shakespeare that I think is really missing. And one of my problems with so many modern adaptations of like Shakespeare it does bother me sometimes when people do modern adaptations of Shakespeare where they just try to be like, we're going to make this palatable for you. And we're going to like show you, like take you along for the ride. And I'm like, no, no, it's still got to have that spectacle. And it's still got to like have all of the drama and the essence of what made Shakespeare Shakespeare. And I I don't know. I think that that this of all of the things that you can do that are like modern, I really do like this take on it because it's still keeping the language of, And I don't know if any other translation of Shakespeare has done that, like any other modern, because I love, I love purist Shakespeare. Like I will say the um, much ado about nothing with Emma Thompson and, and um, Benedict, what's his face? The guy that does everything. Cumberbatch? Um, (laughs) No, not Benedict Cumberbatch. No, I didn't. The who's the who's the famous Shakespeare guy that does all the plays? Kenneth Branagh is that Kenneth Branagh? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I am. He played Benedict in. Um, okay, Much that's what you said. Benedict. So I was like, like Benedict Cumberbatch Benedict. is not in that. Yeah. Oh. No, 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 no. Um, but the, he played Benedict, and like that, yeah. like I love me a purest Shakespeare like movie. Yeah. But the reason that that's not the thing we're talking about on Perfect Ten is because there's something so specific about this particular adaptation oh, and it, our yeah. childhood that is just so seminal and like i don't know it's, it's uh, listen very yeah Ke- kenneth branagh's f- film adaptations of shakespeare of which there are several um <laughs> they are they are what a scholar would consider the the appropriate interpretations right yeah, um yeah. but but they are also um a scholar would consider it that way because they're gatekeepy they're super yeah. gatekeepy, right? They're inaccessible. Mm-hmm. They are not yeah. like there's uh, aside from having incredible casts because people want to work with him on these projects, right? Aside yeah. from that, there really isn't anything commercially viable about any of those projects, right? Um, and and moreover, like what Baz Luhrmann does in this movie that I think is commendable is that he uses contemporary context to color the text right so they could be saying gibberish and you would still generally get the idea of what's happening in this film um Mm, and 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 to me like that has always been um and 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 it was actually it was one of the things that that i think we learned when we were doing shakespeare fests and that sort of thing um in in doing the projects that we did for that was that the 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 words and the language, although they are important and it is important when you're performing it to study that so that you understand what you're doing and what you're saying, it it actually is like the least important part. And it's so funny because yeah. in English class, that's what we do, right? Is that we like study the words themselves um, yeah. so that we can learn 
you know, about historical context and, and learning to, to, you know, read between the lines and understanding subtext and, and entendre and stuff like that, because Shakespeare was the master of all of that. Yeah. Um, but to truly experience Shakespeare is to see Shakespeare performed like passionately, right? Like that's Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. that emotion is what, comes through and so it no different than opera right where it's like you don't have to understand whatever language the opera is in let's say italian right in order to sit and enjoy an opera because the the purpose of that of that medium is like it we're gonna belt out these emotions to the cheap seats everybody in this theater is going to understand exactly what's happening and the words aren't important the emotion and the performance is what's important and this movie gets that 95 percent of the time unfortunately five percent of that that's missing is leonardo dicaprio as romeo um, yeah. And and I think that he was just put in there because like visually he works, but good gravy. His performance is so flat until Wait, sorry, the end. Who did you just say? Who Leonardo say? DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Oh. Like, like every, everybody else in this, I think like delivers. Absolutely. But he was, so he. I feel like he's one of the reasons that the film is made like not so because I feel like before we like get too far into yeah. like why like I I know that there's like some let's have some facts about the the film and I like looking at stuff online before the podcast was that like I think that DiCaprio like flew himself down yep. to Sydney to do some footage and all that stuff and like really wanted to make this and the reason Claire Danes is in it is because he was like well let's hire this chick because when she was auditioning so like I, maybe he did get a bit more leeway probably than everybody else that was cast in it because when you sort of have something but I will say his the react I don't know I think he reacts quite well when he finds out that she's a Capulet I liked that scene I thought he did a good job yeah he, so, I mean he he has moments he has moments it's not yeah. a terrible performance I just find it like when you compare it to He's, everybody else in this like when you when you put him up against you know Pete Postlethwaite right it's like come on there's yeah. no competition yeah. here well right? of course but he's also and so this is one of the things yes because the opening scenes you're like oh my goodness what a whiny little baby yeah, and, yeah. but that's how you're supposed to feel about Shakespeare and or about Romeo about like Romeo, specifically yeah. like Romeo's supposed to be kind of like pathetic and like not really excite like engaging like i don't know i don't know at least maybe this is just my biases against romeo and juliet but like romeo always rubs me the wrong way and i'm kind of <laughs> like i'm like run juliet run yeah. and it just like he's so like i i don't know like even just the dialogue is so skeezy in the like in, I, when he's I, like I, I don't know their banter in the at the at the ball there is there is definitely a component of it because my interpretation the way that i read romeo and juliet is that romeo is actually in reality a sleazeball right like i was gonna say um a, a swear word boy like yeah, I, don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can't, I don't think i can say the f word no, on the podcast no. but we'll, like... we'll, we'll avoid that but i think everybody <laughs> knows exactly what you mean a hundred percent a hundred percent right because the yeah. the the opening his introduction is him pining over rosaline right um yeah and then, and then when he drops her and even like, like I, uh, uh, father Lawrence is even like, excuse me. Like, 
Like you just pining over this girl. (laughs) Like you were, you were so enamored. Like it's all you ever talk about. And then you meet this other girl and now all of a sudden you want to marry her. Um, Like the next day, like literally the next day (laughs) I, it, it, but, but to me, it's like, I think that aspect of it, because in the text, the way it's written is that Romeo really is like manipulative, right? It's in the, it, it is, it is right in it that, that Romeo is meant to be like an older 16 or 17, 18 years old. And Juliet's meant to be like 14 years old. Right. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's all in that scene when, when they're talking about like, like you know her being wed and it's like she's not even old enough and it's like all women younger than her right like that whole thing is is when you look at the historical context sort of places her at like 14 years old right it's like just Mm -hmm. barely old enough to be married off um Mm -hmm. and uh and so so when you look at it with that with that lens you the only way to interpret it is that here comes this beautiful boy romeo uh, who who any woman would you know throw themselves off a cliff for? He starts wooing this fourteen year old girl, and he absolutely knows exactly what he's doing with all of these things that he's saying to her, right? Yeah. But but this interpretation plays their love so straight up, right? Like yeah. it is just it it's is so, like yeah that that to me like that's that and then and then at the very end of it when when they do both kill themselves it just like it it actually is a little bit flat for me because it's because the only thing about it that that i find redeeming in this interpretation is that like romeo dicaprio's romeo is super selfish at the end right (laughs) like like all of his actions after after he kills uh tibble like it's it's all now like about about him right he like there's there's never anything about like what does this do to us it's all just him it's like what is it like my life is over and and then Juliet's dead my like oh my love is gone and he's like he just and the the way that it's performed is very much like this sort of self-centered um uh, I'm gonna go get poison I'm gonna drink poison because because I like it's I, I have nothing left to live for um and uh, and so that like that that works for me a bit, but like that those final scenes, as beautifully shot as it all is, because like I think like the production design and 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 costumes and all of it, like it's all so visually stunning. But mm-hmm. like the two of them, it's just kind of like like to me, like this is sort of supposed to be the part where we really really start to go like oh no like this is this this whole thing was a mistake this was all bad yeah. right he was better off with rosaline and she was better off with paris and you know and then none of this would have happened um well but you say that and the scene that gets me in this that i don't get in the original like in the in the like source text mm-hmm. is how distraught juliet is uh, that she like going to I guess, what is it? It's Friar Lawrence in the actual mm-hmm. um, play. But like, and being like, I'm going to kill myself if I can't be with Romeo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, so like that, like I think Claire Danes does such a good, like totally. that scene of all the scenes is such a brilliant scene where he's just like talking her off the ledge and being like, well, if you're willing to die, why don't you try to pretend I? And it's just like, I don't know. So, so for me, also, I will always remember 
because again, it's been ages since I watched this movie, but I remember her waking up as he kills himself. Like that's so like, you're like just a second, like a, like a hair's breath away. Mm -hmm. And it would have been okay. Even though you know how it ends and her cry, like her, like when she saw, like her sob after he dies is so, I remember that so vividly from this and just being like, she was such a perfect like it I don't know so so that death scene yeah I think it's it works because of her and because of the stakes in in Juliet there for me a little bit but also it's because I really don't care about Romeo just generally <laughs> like I feel so bad it's I feel yeah. so bad I have to I was fact-checking myself for some of this Baz Luhrmann stuff and Natalie Portman was originally cast as Juliet but she was 14 and they said that it was too what is I feel like the footage looked as if he was molesting her so that's why she wasn't in the movie my goodness. So, yeah, well, 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 yep, yeah. no doubt, yeah. no doubt. So, uh, anyways, I will say 17 is probably an okay place to have netted out for the age difference there. <laughs> it's, the- <laughs> I, I like that. That, like, earlier I'm like, mm, I, don't, I don't think that this was appropriate. And then you're like, well, it could have been a lot worse. And you're like, okay, yeah. okay, I guess yep. we'll take it. I guess yep, we'll, we'll take, take it. it. We'll Beggars can't be choosers in this instance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 14 year old yep. Natalie Portman would have been a different film it would have oh, been a different film oh, i think i think the subtext that i'm talking about would have been text <laughs> i <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it not would so not have sub. been not so, so much sub. Sub. Yeah. yeah um yeah. yeah that's that's funny i i, I it's I, there, this is a funny thing because usually on perfect 10 we're we're pretty effusive about stuff and here i am being very critical but i think like that is the <laughs> that is the shakespeare nerd uh, in me of is course. that like like there like t- to understand a Shakespeare nerd is to like is to understand like me being critical of any interpretation of any Shakespeare that I see is is because I am I I actually love it like it, like it I so like much. I I'm, yeah. I'm I'm way into it right um and I'm just trying it's to also, flex and show my how- nerdiness you know how you and I also just come at stuff. I feel like yeah. whenever we talk about stuff we love, we always talk about the stuff that we hate first so that people understand why we love it. We're yeah. like, we love it in spite of this stuff, you guys, in spite of this. This is yeah. why it's awesome. Yeah. I, I, th- I, I just think that like, like from a pop culture standpoint, when people talk about this, they talk about like, I mean, like the, the sort of iconic imagery of, of, uh, Leo in the in the knight costume and her with her angel wings and oh, and yeah. all of that stuff, and it's like that like that stuff is that stuff is is fine right for me like I think that it's all it's all good I think it's all well done in general but like the way that this is remembered is like is is these 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 heartthrobs right Romeo and Juliet and and to me that will always be. Um, walking away with the wrong message, right? Is that like, right. oh, they were so in love. It's, uh, I have to bring everything back to Star Wars always, right? I've already brought up George <laughs> Lucas, but um, when I when I watch the prequel trilogy and I see Anakin and Padme, speaking of Natalie Portman, um, and and the, doing doing their whole romantic thing and everybody would be like, it's so... Like it's so uh, like clunky and unnatural and 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 weird. And I'm like, listen, I understand that this was not George's intent, but my personal interpretation of it, I think that he accidentally backed into. Uh, I mean, it's, I I think that George intentionally 
made the analogy to Romeo and Juliet, knowing that these characters are destined for tragedy. Right. So, um, I mean, like it's, it's, it, it, it's actually right there in the movie because, uh, the, the love theme for Anakin and Padme in attack of the clones is called across the stars, um, which is, uh, it's it, it's a jumble of star-crossed right like like mm-hmm. like that's why it's called across the stars so for me whenever i watch the prequels and i watch anakin and padme and people will be like but they're supposed to be in love i i always go no they're not that's the point that's yeah. actually the whole point is that they are both infatuated with the idea of one another which is romeo and juliet right is that like anakin is obsessed with this vision of this girl that he met when he was 10 years old right Right. she was his not to be you know put too fine a point on it but she was literally his sexual awakening at that age right is that like this 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 older girl gives him all of this attention was a surrogate mother to him in the moments after, right after he left his own mother. And then he was forced into this, this monk monastery situation where he had no parents. Um, after tragedy, he just loses his mom. Qui-Gon dies and like all of this stuff. So, so Anakin is, is, is ridiculously tragically traumatized and he's, and he has like imprinted on Padme essentially. Right. And so that's, he doesn't love her. He desires to possess her, right? And then Padme, it's there. It's there. It's so subtle, but it's there. She is in love with the idea of doing something wrong, of doing something bad. And she basically, when she gives her confession right before they're about, they think that they're about to die in the arena in Geonosis, she's like, I got like, listen, since you came back, like you, you're super hot. You're super hot. And I've just been thinking about kissing you the whole time. And you kissed me on Nebu. And I just can't stop thinking about that kiss because you're super hot. And this is so wrong. And I'm going to get in so much trouble for it because you're a Jedi and I'm a senator. But like, I don't care. Right. Like we're going to die. So like, I'm just going to say all this stuff out loud. And then Anakin takes that as, oh, so you love me too. And it's like, "Mm, that's not really, that's. I, you guys are saying the word love, but it's not what really what you mean. Um, and that's, and that's why, that's why they're destined for, for tragedy. Right. Because if it were, if it were true love, then Anakin's actions in revenge of the Sith would end up being different. Right. Um, right. He, he would, he would be selfless and not selfish. Right. If, if, if he were truly motivated by love and not by, attachment and possessiveness right so his 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 actions there are like like he he dooms them and the entire galaxy by virtue of his inability to actually love and then the thing that brings him back is the love of his son and his love for his son and it's like oh he finally learns the lesson right so like that's all that's all in there and 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 i just always like whenever i think of romeo and juliet and i i I can't can't help but going back to attack of the clones and thinking about all of that um, and, and putting that lens on it. And it's one of those things where I go like people, people misread the prequels so much because they, they want them to be the original trilogy, but they are actually 
Shakespearean, right? Like it's all meant to be sort of Renaissance uh, uh, epic and, and, you know, uh, tragedy and comedy and all of that stuff. That's why Jar Jar is the character that he is. If you look at Jar Jar with a Shakespearean lens, you're like, that character makes a lot more sense actually. Um, Cause he's just a straight up clown. Right. But I, uh, yeah. uh, so as a Shakespeare nerd and a star Wars nerd, these are the things that I think about <laughs> when I watch stuff like this, but, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I, I don't really know where to take it from that point. I, I, do, do you have anything else that you wanted to add before we sort of wrap up? Cause I think, I think that we've kind of talked about everything. I know that, we sort uh, of, we sort of mashed it all to mashed it all together. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel like, one of the things is I, I'm curious, like how many people listening to this have actually watched this or how many people are going to watch it because of this? Mm-hmm. Like maybe mm-hmm. they've heard of it and like haven't actually gone into it. Um, but I will say like for me and and why I've always been drawn to Shakespeare and I, I know I've talked about this already on the podcast, but is that like I want people to know and understand that Shakespeare was writing for everybody. Mm. And there's something about how this film is able to take that and, and realize it and, and hit, I, I think something that's quite accessible makes me hope that it gets people excited about Shakespeare. And every time I think about Shakespeare, I think about how this movie existed and nothing since has really done for Shakespeare what this movie did for Shakespeare, in my opinion. Totally. And I'm really excited and looking forward to, like I always, in my in my mind, I'm like, if we could do this again, what would be, what would be the equivalent to this? And there really isn't anything. So love it or hate it for Romeo and Juliet, the original source material. For, for me, that is what makes it such a, like a perfect film is because it takes something that is so iconic and so some might say inaccessible or just like ephemeral that that is not quite understood and can make it visceral and can make it relatable. Mm -hmm. And um, if nothing else, it's kind of really interesting to watch Leonardo DiCaprio as a fresh faced 20 year old and just sort of that and, and just all of the talent that's in this film and the, I just the the iconic iconography that I just remember is um I anyways I'm looking forward to anybody that hasn't seen it it is on Disney Plus in Canada I don't know where it is in the states I feel like it's on Stars is where you can find it but in which is luckily in Canada on that means it's on um Disney Plus um so very accessible now if you want to watch it and um yeah just like such a great such a great vehicle for those two actors i mean it's been wonderful to watch claire danes like what what she was able to do after that and for me thinking back to the 90s and just like pop culture that will forever resonate with me i that's 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 my submission for perfect 10 and i mean there could be other things i will say it ain't no independence day but (laughs) (laughs) Or Godzilla, the one from the '90s with Matthew Broderick, but it's it's very much, very much, um, in terms of the veins of the things that I love and yeah, and you know, as much as it is a tragedy, people also think it's one of the you know, it could be romantic if you wanted to read it that way. Who am I to tell you that you're wrong? <laughs> but, 
<laughs> as somebody yeah. who, who heralds romance. Um, I do love that this is in, in, in Wikipedia. It is like a romantic crime film, which I love. <laughs> so uh, I just think that's, that's great. So if you want a, a good like romantic crime film in your life, yeah. highly recommend uh, checking out Baz Luhrmann's William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's great. I, it's, it's so funny because I, you, you say like, like, uh, since this one, like, like who, how, who has done basically like as much for Shakespeare as, as this film did. Cause I think that you're right that like it, it brought the, the idea of, of a, of a modern retelling like this into sort of the pop culture spotlight. But the funny thing is that like, this was basically followed up by a bunch of attempts to, to, cause, cause this movie was hugely successful. And um, mm-hmm. I, I did like a pop culture moment and the soundtrack went on to be like, everybody, everybody had to have this soundtrack and all of that. Um, and people were obsessed with Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, like this, this is ostensibly launched his career. Um, I, without this, does Titanic wasn't, become Wasn't he thing? nominated for an Oscar for what's eating Gilbert Grape? Yeah, yeah, but but it's one of those things of like of like there's a difference between between the child actor Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, and and and, yeah, Yeah. and 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 like sort of like that like critical. Oh my goodness, look look how good versus like the pop culture. Like like I don't think Leonardo DiCaprio becomes the uh, the institution that he becomes for better or worse. uh, Without without this performance without this this film because this is the thing that cements him as like one of the guys right like one of those guys of the 90s and early 2000s that's like like this because i think this leads right into titanic which then cements him as like one of the dreamiest dreamboats of the 90s right um but but i was just gonna say it's so funny because like we have the the 1999 midsummer night's dream with uh, with like Calista Flockhart and Kevin Klein and Michelle Pfeiffer and oh, that yeah. just like oh, is an so absolute good. flop. Like it, like. But it's, but I love it. But the problem with that is that it didn't modernize it enough. It yeah. sort of was like this interesting like half. Because I will say it is kind of hard to do high fantasy like that and make it. Oh man, there's just been so many. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> there's there's great like there's oh. Sorry, I could I could talk I could talk about Midsummer Night's Dream forever. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it didn't do as well. But it was it should have. Come on, Stanley Tucci is just the the, ca- the cast is the cast is not a the problem, best. right? Yeah, yes. but it just ends up kind of being I think very like like 1999 blah. I, I, yeah, yeah. which which I think everybody kind of gets what I mean when I say that. Here's 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 my pitch for Midsummer Night's Dream. If you wanted to do for that what Baz Luhrmann did for M- Romeo and Juliet, he picked he picked the Verona Beach setting, and I think that everything else kind of grows out of that. I think if mm-hmm. you want to make Midsummer Night's Dream something that would like really like captivate and capture people's imaginations, you you can't do ancient Greece and you can't do what they did, which was sort of like a, a, a early 1900s period thing. Yeah, you got it. You have to take the fantasy and you have to flip it and make it sci-fi. If if yeah. you made yeah. if you made it like a sci-fi visual spectacle that was also this story, I think that would be like. 
something that would i think that would like capture people i think they'd be they'd be down for it but but i think it's just also a hard sell i think that the language is such a it's such a barrier that what you have to do what this movie captures is you just you have to create a visual language to it that that speaks louder than the words um and you can't you can't do that with the comedies because they're yeah. meant to be more languid and more and more about the texture of the relationship yeah. and all that stuff. It is it is almost Romeo and Juliet's like sort of banal straightforwardness that makes yeah. it the perfect vessel for uh, like an interpretation like this, right? That it's just like it's so it's so blah. That that you can put all you of can't this help other but stuff like put it. whatever you want on it, and yeah. then people can just read that. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. And Very then as long so. as as long as people are kissing and fighting, right? Okay, yeah. you talk about it. What like else Shakespeare, do you need? Shakespeare knew what he was doing, right? And yeah. and like like Romeo and Juliet, I think stands the test of time and is Shakespeare's most well known work by virtue mm-hmm. of the fact that it is just fighting and effing like that's what it is like that's like it it's it's the two things that we want from like you know blockbuster popcorn movies right um yeah it's it's like it's it's like a romantic john wick right like there's there's (laughs) there's more fighting i think that there's more fighting like per per scene per page sort of thing in romeo and juliet than there is in in really anything else Shakespeare I'm I'm hard pressed to think of anything oh, yeah. that's like quite as violent as as the, because because it is like the, the it is just the story right the plot is that the Capulets and Montagues are killing each other in the streets like Pi- right like Titus Andronicus feels like it's sure yeah sure potentially <laughs> potentially and so like like you could you can make an argument about some of like the historical stuff right because you're talking yeah. about like but uh, but but that's war. yeah but that's like that's like we don't we don't actually see it whereas like Romeo and Juliet like there's there are it's multiple fight, sword fights right wedding fight wedding oh and the use of the i know that it's so but it's like kind of interesting the use of the guns as like with the names and the oh the use of text in this as well is so interesting like in the production design as well like all of the like little pieces of of beautiful like like homage peppered in which is so fantastic like homage to shakespeare so yeah it's definitely i don't know it it it, it, it's I don't know. I think it's hard to not do Shakespeare in a way that ends up being a bit cringe. And I think that what you have yeah. to do is you have to embrace that cringe. You have to lean into it um, and you have to live inside it. Like, and, and this movie does that for better or worse. It absolutely does that. So I, yeah, I, I, I love it. Um, I love so much about it, but like for me, I could just watch, I could just watch that, the, the uh mercutio tybalt scene on repeat for hours because there's just so much in that to to dig into into the in those two performances like those guys on screen together it's just so so good but uh i'll give it to leo in that scene because because his like reluctance to fight in oh, all of so that good. yeah i think is really he good where he's he's job. like he's like i don't like like you get it like 
and it's and that's complex like that that is like that's mm-hmm. a that's mm-hmm. a meaty uh moment to like to really sink your teeth into as an actor um is is this idea that you're trying to get across like i can't tell you that you're like you're now my family right because that's what's going on there is he's like i can't i won't fight you because like you don't yeah. understand this and you can't understand this you, yeah. but like i but yeah like i love her therefore i love you like i love everything about her and she's a capulet which means that i love all capulets right like and that all that comes across in his performance so i'll give him that i'll give him that scene for sure that whole that whole sequence is just i think is just so well done but um yeah awesome well there it is i i i think we've done it i i I think so too. Amanda, th- thank you for jumping on. Thank you for, for, for being on perfect 10 finally for coming out of podcast retirement. Um, to, to talk about <laughs> this with one me. and only night. Yeah. yeah. All you got to do is say, we can talk about whatever you want. That was literally. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yay. All right. Sounds good. Works for um, me. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, that's it. That's a, that's another nerdy conversation in the books. Uh, thanks for listening to Thunderquack Perfect 10. Uh, if you found joy in today's discussion, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast service, leave a rating and review. And if you want to chat about today's episode, you can head over to our Discord at thunderquack.com slash Discord. Uh, your comments might be used in a future episode if you do that. Uh, and for those looking to keep the fun alive and help us continue doing what we love, show us some support over at patreon.com slash thunderquack. And uh, until next time, remember, it's not about the score. It's about the love. Stay geeky, everyone. <laughs> Thunderquack Perfect 10 is hosted by me, Michael Cohen. Follow us on Twitter at ThunderquackPod, on Instagram at ThunderquackPodcast, on Facebook at Thunderquack, and join us on Discord at Thunderquack.com Discord. Support the podcast by heading to Patreon.com Thunderquack to get early access bonus episodes and the thunderquack perfect 10 pop quiz thunderquack perfect 10 is part of the thunderquack podcast network thanks for listening